0: treat. Uh, so it's, uh, come on up, Rabbi Ari. It's only your retirement weekend, so we're just, you know, just before you go out the door entirely, we're going to make sure that you get to continue to come around and, and talk text with us. So um, we'll still go through a few of the points I'm hoping to share with us this afternoon, but I also hope you get to just sort of uh, listen in to a fun conversation and hang out uh, one of the things that's been nice about our friendship over these last several years is that Ari and I kind of can um, practice a value we both care deeply about, which is the value of reconciliation and people of different faiths working together. So that means that you know, next time I stop by, <laughs> I'm just joking. Your your Torah study, you're just going I'm just gonna jump in.
1: But you always do. I always do anyway.
0: <laughs> it will be great. Well, let me start with just a word of prayer. I
1: defer to her. I don't have on yet. But are,
0: is he on yet? Is this I, thing on? I
1: defer to Danielle all the time because she's a master of a certain book I'm not such a master of. So <laughs> when there are questions about New Testament, then there are questions about that, then it's really great when she or Kevin is there because they can always fill in the void and the blanks that I'm full of. So, yes. <laughs>
0: That's right. Okay, so uh, we're going to start with a quick word of prayer, and we'll jump on into Exodus chapter 17. Father, thank you, God, so much for this opportunity to come together, to open up your word, to study, and to hear your voice. And God, we ask right now that you would be with us in our midst, that we would um, have our eyes opened to your presence here, and that together we would all grow a little bit closer to you um, as a result of spending time in your word. We ask it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 7, verses 8 through 16. So, if you have your Bibles, you can open them up. 17. Um, sorry, 17, verses 8 through 16, or 17, I go all the way? Yeah. Uh, so, we, we also will put the text up on the screen for you all. And we have some Lego fans here, so we like to uh, do a yeah. little bit of some visuals as we do the text. Brick Bible. <clears throat> Brick, yeah, the Brick Testament. The yeah, Brick you, Testament. All, you have this book, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites, and tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. Back one, sorry. So, Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. That's the end of our reading. We're just going to note a few things as we go through, and um, I have a couple things, and we're just going to kibitz, right? That's Yes, yeah, so yeah, we're going to kibitz. We're going to kibitz, uh, chat about it, so that's what we're going to do. Um, one quick note. It's fascinating to me that if God says that the Amalekites will be blotted out, their name will be blotted out from under heaven, that um, ironically, we're still going to have to deal with them from generation to generation. And one of the things we would talk about is that the Amalekites really here in the text, and Rabbi Ari can riff on this a bit with me as well, um, sort of start to serve as a prototype of the first, to use an anachronism, meaning a term that doesn't apply to this particular time of history, the first anti-Semites. The first ones who are going to be always and against God's people, the Israelites, the Jewish people for all time, almost simply because they are God's people. And that's going to start our conversation as we start to look at the Amalekites and how they're treated through the rest of text. And Kevin had an insight, and I think he shared it maybe at one Torah study, that one of the things that we think about, at least this is Kevin's thought, when we think about the word anti-Semite, that the word Semite comes from the word Shem, which means name in Hebrew. And so anyone who is an anti-Semite is against the name, against the name of God. And I kind of like that. But it's also
1: from Shem, the son of Noah, from whom all the Semites including Amalekites, Edomites, Arabs, Ishmaelites, and Jews come from. So any Amalekite who's an anti-Semite is a self-hating Amalekite. I mean, Mm -hmm. I never use the word anti-Semite because it was was invented by a group of Germans in the 19th Mm -hmm. century who founded the anti-Semitic party as a way to obfuscate, that is, to hide Mm -hmm. the true meaning of what they wanted to do, which is basically kick the Jews out of Germany. So it was, and they focus it on Jews, but obviously it would mean any kind of Semite, including Arabs. And you see that going on in mm-hmm. Germany today. The anti-Semites who don't like Jews or Arabs are uh, are proliferating. But I just don't use it. I use Jewphobes, you know, people who are phobic about Jews, or Jew haters, because that just makes it easier to, to think about. Because anti-Semitic is the name of a party that designed to hide the meaning of the word.
0: Mm-hmm. So who are the Amalekites? Well, we don't know a ton about them, but we know a little bit. And some of that comes from, actually Genesis 14 mentions a region of the Amalekites. I think it's a city or a hill or something it mentions there of Amalek. And then in Genesis 36, it talks about how the Amalek is the 13th descendant out of Esau Edom and actually the um, illegitimate child from a what was the name of the guy
1: eliphaz
0: eliphaz who hooks up with a concubine timna and has a child and this is amalek
1: and eliph is my god and paz is fine gold so my god is gold gold is my god is what eliphaz means and you can tell what's wrong with that story right from the (laughs) get-go and the woman is his wife or his concubine is named timna and timna means to refuse or to withhold and so Maybe she was refusing to go along with his materialism, we don't know. Mm. But uh, in any case, one of the places that Danielle likes to take people on her tours of uh, Israel is Timna, the copper mines near lot in the southern part. And that's an area near where some major archeologists think Mount Sinai might actually have been, and this is close to Mount Sinai. So this would be an area that it could possibly have been north of Eilat instead of way down south in the middle of the mountains of the Sinai Peninsula.
0: So one of the problems we're going to have as we start to look at this text is that we actually don't know where they are. We don't really know where Rephidim is. We, some people are going to say, well, it's closer to Sinai because they're, going to, they're on their way to Mount Horeb. Um, to Mount Sinai, another word for Horeb, Sinai, those two words together, um, where they're going to get the tablets. They're going to get God's commands, and Mm -hmm. they're going to have this incredible experience with the Lord. Um, So we don't know if traditionally we would say that the location of Sinai or somewhere where they are is down there, but maybe some people are going to place it more up here. We don't actually know for sure, but someday you should go to the traditional Mount Sinai because it's beautiful and amazing. It's just um, not particularly safe right now because it's in Egypt. Um, but, and they like to target tourists on the well, way.
1: Well, there's, there's an insurrection going on of Islamist uh, militias in the Sinai Peninsula. Yep. So it's not the best time to go.
0: Not, but someday. Someday go. Put it on your bucket list.
1: God willing. God
0: willing, <laughs> yeah. Now one of the things we're talking about actually is why are the Amalekites there and what are they doing? Well, possibly they are trying to protect some ancient trade routes through the area. Uh, when Israel is going to start to go through the land, and as we go through the coming chapters in the book of Exodus, we're going to hear about a whole bunch of materials. We're going to hear about minerals and gold and oils and things that they don't necessarily have just because they're out in the desert. So there's conversation. Where are they getting these things from? Well, they could have taken it all from Egypt and be schlepping it all with them there, and that's totally possible. Um, It's also possible that maybe they're picking some of these things up along the way. So some scholars, as they're trying to place this event, will try to look at descriptions in the area and say, well, um, it's actually the first time that God's going to say the word inscribe when he tells Moses to write this down. And so we have this kind of concept of, well, this is the first time. So what type of stone is Moses inscribing on? I heard one scholar argue about, well, it can't be granite because that would have taken too long. So it, they've got to be more up in the upper <laughs> area. I know, it's hilarious. Yes. But, you know, pe- this is the things that people will sort of argue about and discuss as they're going through.
1: You know, why don't they just translate it as right which is what it means. Instead, I know, I know they could have you know, to etch or chisel, but uh, I just don't know what the difference between inscribing and outscribing is. <laughs> I, I have no idea. So
0: yeah, outscribing, inscribing, yeah. all of the above. Yes, yeah. something like that. Uh, So as the Amalekites are in this area, perhaps it's possible that they are protecting an ancient spice trade route. If Israel is coming up into the more northern location as a possibility, then they are approaching those spice trade routes that are in that area. And we have, you guys, I think we've talked about this before, but Israel sits on a land between. It's a land that connects all of these continents and trade routes. So when we talk about this, it's not just like, well, I really liked my corner shop and I don't want somebody to have my corner shop. This is international trade. It's a huge economy and we even have, when the British were coming on in and occupying different areas here in the Middle East, which is kind of one of the main reasons we're in the mess we are today, um, as they drew, drew a lot of those different lines, we have Brits talking about how deeply important it is to hold this land and that whoever holds this land will hold the economy of the world. Because there weren't airplanes yet, and people who can hold this land can control this spice trade route over to India, into Asia, back down into Africa, and up into Europe. So this is a sought-after land. So possibly one of the reasons why the Amalekites are going to attack the Israelites unprovoked is that Israel's starting to come into territory that they care about. We don't know a lot about them, but we know that they're sort of Bedouin-type desert raiders that are descendants from Edom. Cool? Cool.
1: Anyone want to add that? Yeah, what Danielle mentions that the trade routes went through Israel. Um, imagine God the Father taking Israel, the child, and putting Israel in the middle of a superhighway as a baby and said, Okay, develop. <laughs> and and that's what we tried yeah. to do. But it's not easy to be in the middle of a highway with people going up and down and up and down, armies, empires going through all the time. Every possible imperialist, materialist trend that was going through the world went through Israel. If they were going to Europe, they went through Israel. If they were going to Asia, they went through Israel. If they were going to Africa, they went through Israel. Solomon made a bundle on it because he put toll booths at the north and south end of the country. But, but Imagine growing up in the middle of a highway. And that's what God wanted from Mm -hmm. our people. Mm -hmm. And when I say our people, I mean all who believe in God. I'm inclusive. And all we know about growing up and believing in one God comes from growing up in the middle of a highway where everybody (laughs) wants to take over the toll booth. And it's a really difficult place to be.
0: It is. Uh, one of my professors back in Jerusalem called it a land for mice where cats come to play. <laughs> and so you've got these big cats, right? So you've got Egypt in the south, a big cat, and then you've got Assyria the in the north, this huge cat, and then there's just these little rats. And, and Israel, you know, maybe occasionally under Solomon, becomes a rodent of unusual size, if you've seen Princess Bride. Like I would the like to think R-U-S, of right? us as sheep. Sheep, sure.
1: And and, the, and there are big wolves cats, and lions the wolves going and through lions, Sure, yeah, of right. course, yeah. <laughs>
0: All of the above. Basically, if you're holding, if you're trying to hold that land, yes. people are going to come and try to crush you. Always. 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 So a little bit about the Amalekites. Now, one last thing I'd like to note is that the Amalekites are going to be a story now that we're going to deeply care about as we go through the rest of our Hebrew text. So when we get to... Samuel, we're going to care about this because it's actually going to be King Saul's job to eradicate the Amalekites. He's not going to do it and his failure to do so will cause the kingdom to be ripped away from him. And after King Saul, David is going to rout the Amalekites. And it'll say things in the text like, and David killed all the Amalekites. But then a little bit later, there'll be 400 left. Which out of the 600 is sort of like a good war story, right? To come back in and say, I took them all out. Only two out of three survived. The
1: fish was this big. Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) Exactly. So David is going to have to fight the Amalekites. Esther will have to fight the Amalekites because Haman is a descendant of King Agag who was an Amalekite. And he was the one whose life was saved for a short period of time because King Saul did not kill him and Samuel himself had to take out that king.
1: Now I have to say one thing about this, uh, two things. The first thing is that the word Amalek is how you say it in Hebrews, Amalek. And so it sounds like... (laughs) And the king of Amalek is Agar. Agar of Amalek. So <laughs> it, I'm not sure that was really ever the name of a people or what other people called them.
0: Right, right. They're
1: just the people that made no sense when they talked. They just sound like a bunch of guttural ghosts going around. And I'm, I, I just don't know. It's just it, that all the names are so horrible. Uh, and the second thing is that David, first of all, tried to be a vassal when he was running away from Saul, a vassal to the Philistines. And they said, okay, go raid your own people to demonstrate your loyalty. And he said, okay. And then he would go and he would raid the Amalekites who had just been raiding the Judeans and take back the stuff from the, Judean, from the Amalekites that they had taken from the Judeans and give that to the Philistines. So it looked like he was raiding Judeans. And so he was able to prove his loyalty uh, while lying all the time, which is why he's the ancestor of the Messiah. No, anyway, <laughs> so... That's right. We're not even going to go into murder and, and adultery and stuff like that. But, but anyway, so that was one of the things... He was, was a man
0: after God's own
1: heart. Oh, yeah, right. No. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to go there today. But anyway, so, but the second thing is because Saul didn't finish the job of the Amalekites,
2: right.
1: you find Haman, the Agargi, the, the Agagite. And who is his big enemy in Persia? It's Mordechai, and Mordechai is the son of Kish. He's an ancestor, a descendant of Kish, and Kish is the father of Saul. So that the battle that was begun by the son of Kish, and the king of Amalek, is finished on the streets of Persia, mm-hmm. by a descendant of Amalek, king Agag, <laughs> and Israel's first king, Saul, who is the son of Kish. It's really funny if you can know how to say those, you know, different.
0: Can't you work picture on it, you know, kids sitting it, around a campfire and on. listening to these stories late at night and the parents being able to, you know, vocalize the ancient Hebrew and tell it with that kind of inflection, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, it, it's it's pretty fun. And, and I think I even I like the aspect that. Purim every year, which is the Feast of Esther, that when you celebrate Purim in a Jewish community, that any time Haman's name is mentioned, everyone makes a ton of noise because you're trying to blot his name out from the earth. So as that, like, wah, wah, would be coming out, people are like, ah, you know, and kind of yell back. So it's, this is a way to tell a story, right? I mean, no, you don't need Sunday school if you can shout and say all these kinds of oh, things. Oh my, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. And these are how the stories were passed down. These are how the stories came to us today as people told them. And wrote them down and, and passed them to us today. I just would note that Second Chronicles note also mentions that Hezekiah has to fight the Amalekites. And so there's a little bit of that ballad, battle continuing even into this, to that period. Yeah,
1: They existed for... I mean, they were, when it says that Saul killed all but the king, he killed all but the king of one band of Amalekites. It wasn't every single Amalekite in the whole south in the desert. It, right. There were just too many. So when it said you eradicated a people, quite frequently our ancestors would just say that they did, but they didn't, only got one band of them. Um, it, uh, it, it's, right. it's kind of funny, we can make jokes about people committing genocide, but nonetheless, uh, that's what it is, is—it's wiping out different peoples who were, necessarily, at war with each other, but and the only way you could really stop it, and one of the things that concerns us about fighting ISIS today is how do you, how do you stop it? Do you stop it by talking nicely to them or do you Mm -hmm. try to eradicate every single one of them? And that's a a difficult moral, political, military, religious, every other kind of issue you can imagine issue. And how determined will we be to stop it? And even if the entire West were to march over there in peace and arms and loving reconciliation, I'm not sure they wouldn't cut us all down one by one by one and enjoy the whole thing. So it's, it's a difficult thing when you, when you think about when does our religion, when does our commitment to the value of every human soul, when does that come to a, a point whereby you cannot live with somebody who's coming after you like that? And that's why I'm was so dangerous mm-hmm. because they kept coming like that. Mm-hmm. And so over and over and over again, the Israelite leaders getting the message to go out there and stop them. And the only way to stop them was to get rid of every last one of them or at least drive them so far away, they would never come back. And the Bible is not an easy book to read and it's almost not for children, but, uh, but it's a difficult, difficult story no matter what you do because every time you, you look into it, you find a moral equation that just doesn't work today. Until it has to be the only one you have left.
0: And I think that's really important. We want to give everybody here permission to read this story and say, I'm a little uncomfortable. Or to read other stories in the Bible and say that. It's okay. It doesn't mean that you are doubting God or doubting the text. You're being honest about a difficult topic. And I would say that in any relationship you care about, spouse to spouse, friend to friend, parent to child, any of those relationships, if you're dishonest about how you're feeling about something, then you've created a gap in the relationship. So it's better as we approach the text and as we approach our creator, God, to be able to say, hey, I'm confused about this and I don't always like it. And that's okay. God can handle that. He's totally fine with that. So let's look at this next little section. Thank you, Ari. That was great. Uh, What's with Moses' arms? So, like, are those, like, magic? They do, like, some weird force field thing. You know, shields up, shields down, back Actually, to Star they, Trek.
1: those Legos only bend so much, so I That's
0: right. That's the problem. They can't. So this portion of the text says that when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so those hands remained steady till sunset. So what's going on? Well, obviously gravity, right? That's the real problem. So it's not just a good idea. It's the law. Right, So we have Moses' arms are heavy, and he cannot hold them up. Gravity is a force that is winning in this moment. But this heaviness thing is kind of an interesting word. And I, I'll just note one thing, and then we can maybe go to heavy. I want to go back glor- to the
1: picture. Go me. back to the picture. When you go. want to.
0: Please, do it. Okay,
1: so when you look at Moses' arms there, okay, <laughs> what does Moses look like? What?
0: Charles no, he doesn't look like Charles. <laughs> that's sure. that's
1: Wilfred Brimley there. I don't <laughs> it's the right thing to do. <laughs> no, what does what what Moses look like? Take away the face. Just look at the body. What is he shaped like? A cross. So one of the things that I learned a long time ago when I was uh, learning New Testament, the history of Jewish and Christian discussions, yelling matches. Uh, I, I, I learned that Jews see this different than Christians. So this particular book was put together by a pastor, and it's a really fun thing. My kids like to the use Brick it. The Brick Testament. Have, yeah, the Brick Testament. Uh, we have in our Bar and Bat Mitzvah programs where we have the Torah portions. There. The, the kids have to go through each one of the sections that we uh, will be reading in public, and they have to find a picture on the internet that they want to use to illustrate it, and quite frequently they use this book, and it's really wonderful. But I want to show you how Jews see Moses' hands. Victory, not as a cross. So there's a big difference in the way, and this is not everybody, because all kinds of different people see it different ways. But by and large, Jews see the hands up and Christian artists have depicted it this way. And you can decide what you think it is. Now, if Moses if is... matters. Well, no. Think of it this way. <laughs>
0: I'd be like, my arms are tired.
1: Yes, I know. Well, imagine <laughs> I'm sitting on a rock, and I have a guy standing on this side and a guy standing on this side. How are they going to hold my arms? Now, there's one possibility, is they're going to hold my arms down here, because it's easier to hold a person's arms if you're, hold, if you're not raising your own. Right? So, if you're just holding it this way, that would make a cross. But if they're holding them up, then it would be the other way. So this is in the mind of the beholder. you have a question? Is that a question? Okay. You, by the way, you, you may Anyone talk back. Anyone can ask
0: questions. Yeah, you may talk. sure.
1: I'm used to it. My congregation never lets me get about Very two minutes chatty. without talking back.
0: Yeah. Any questions so far? All right. Yeah. Okay. So what if the world You mean forward? You forward, straight like that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs>
1: That means, uh, may your strength be straight, may it always, you know, come forward. That's a great question. And the answer is, what would it mean? What would it mean if their hands were forward? I'm asking you. Okay. Okay. What else? Welcome. Isn't that a strange meaning in the middle of a battle? Well, maybe he was. Maybe he was trying to turn into Martin Luther King at that moment.
0: <laughs> maybe it's more like this. So <laughs> like that. Okay. Shame on you.
1: Shame on you. No, like the you. air traffic control. Oh, air traffic yeah. control. Yeah, come on in this way. No. That's right. I, that's a great question. And cherish your questions. That's a great insight. olalimba From the mouths of babes and sucklings, you have founded strength, God.
0: It's Ezekiel. Okay. Yep. Uh, so... Who knows? We don't know. We can debate, and we'll divide up accordingly and start a new church, of whether you think it's up or down or, uh, you know, That,
1: that sounds it. like the history of religion, right? <laughs> we're, right. The, we're the up, <laughs> and, right. and you're the forward, and then we're the sideways, and then we're the ones who just kind of wave it in the air. <laughs> That's
0: okay, right. Okay, no. Compromise. <laughs> we just right. do right in the middle. Yeah, all of that. So there are pictures actually that we have and this is a picture of Sennacherib who was the king of Syria and laid siege to Lachish in Judea um, when Sennacherib came up and ultimately tried to take Jerusalem but didn't win. Um, That story where Hezekiah prays and the angel of God goes out, and something miraculously happens, and um, Sennacherib has to retreat. But in this picture with his throne and others, there are pictures of Sennacherib with people holding out his arms as he observes that battle at Lachish, and these were found on that wall. So maybe there is a cultural context or echo for somebody who would be holding up their arms. But also, in our biblical text, and in this story, the word for arm or yod will appear seven times. That's kind of fun, huh? Yeah. Uh-huh. You like the number seven. I love seven. Yeah, it's a good number. Seven is Shabbat. That's right. It's
1: the day of rest.
0: Completeness. And a lot can be sometimes made and discussed about these different numbers. Um, also, when it says that Moses' arms were able to remain steady, it's really there that they were then faithful. And the word in the Hebrew is emuna, And it's a faithfulness it's not just like they were steady but they were faithful in their direction so there's there's something maybe more there that we could have a conversation about but i'd like to note that what what is moses is moses moses is the leader right He's the leader of the people. And, and Kevin talked to you last week about how they're having some leadership crises as they're going through the desert. And they're arguing with Moses, and Moses is turning to God. And by the way, this won't be the first or last time that this is going to happen for the rest of our Moses-Israelite story. Moses, as he's up on that hill, is holding up his arms, and his arms are becoming too heavy. And the word for heavy, kaved, kaved can also be similar in... In word to the honor. word for honor or weight or glory, kavod.
1: Because you're worth your weight in gold, so that's where heaviness and honor join together in meaning.
0: So there's a lot that can be read into this, and oftentimes we even when we talk about God bringing the text will say that when God brought Israel out of Egypt, He brought them out with His mighty arm. So we have these arm pictures, God with arm bringing and delivering out Israel, his firstborn son, carrying Israel, his firstborn son out of Egypt and going into the land that God will provide. And then this additional picture of heaviness or weightiness. And then ultimately that root can be used for the word for glory for God. When we talk about Pharaoh having a hardened heart, it's a heavy heart. And that same word is used. But this might additionally be foreshadowing what's to come. Because in Exodus chapter 18, verses 17 through 18, it'll say this. Moses' father-in-law Jethro showed up and he's seen this mess. Moses is all day long, all night, all morning, all night, dealing and with all the conflicts that are amongst the Israelite people. And Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy. And it's the same word. Moses' arms were too heavy, and now the work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it all alone. It's you a little like this. Do have your in-laws
1: tell you things like that?
0: Yeah. It's too heavy, right? You can't do it. Nope. No, it's, it's, too, it's too much work. So the text isn't telling us, like, if the load's too heavy, just get stronger. The text is saying, do not attempt to lift heavy loads single-handedly, right? So we are looking at a text that is saying... There are, there's a need for Moses to have leaders alongside of him, helping him and helping prop up his heavy load. Because Moses will tell God, it's too heavy for me. And he'll say it more than once. This is too heavy for me. I can't
1: carry this heavy congregation all myself.
0: And God is saying, you're right, you can't. So Aaron and her get up there and they're going to prop up his hands.
1: Can I go back to the hands? Please. So when she says the hands are described as being emuna, which means faithful, hands are not faithful. So they must mean steady. But he can't hold them steadily. But the cool thing about it is, is it's the, the word they used is faithful. And as our commentators always say, the text never leaves its simple meaning. <laughs> so why is steady faithful? And the answer is because faithful Is steady. Now, faithful does not mean that you do not doubt. Faithful does not mean that you do not have days when you wonder what the heck it's all about. Mm -hmm. Faithful doesn't mean that you don't go this way when you're supposed to be going that way. It means, on average, you're able to pilot yourself through this rough, Mm -hmm. crazy seas and crazy currents in a steady direction. Because nobody goes straight. Mm -hmm. Nobody can. Mm -hmm. We're only made out of meat a little bit of bone, right. and a very tiny brain to guide it all. <laughs> and so the idea is, can you go steady? Not going steady in that way, but can you keep moving <laughs> forward in a steady, steady <laughs> direction?
0: And if the Israelites get to learn this about Moses, their yeah. leader in this moment, then that's a helpful bit of knowledge, right? They're sitting there, they're wrestling, they're struggling, they're not really sure what's happening, they're questioning Moses, they're questioning God, but they've now learned that Moses is... His, his hands are now emunah. They are faithful.
1: Yep. I have one more thing. So why Aaron and Hur? So I never really knew the name Hur, except from Ben Hur, you know, the, the movie and the book. And, um, and then I found out that Hur was the grandfather of Betzal El. Betzal El was one of the two master craftspeople who directed the building of the tabernacle in the wilderness, the portable wilderness sanctuary. And he's Betzal El Ben Uri Ben Hur. Uh, Those names can be very, very uh, symbolic. I'm not going to go there. It's just that Hur is the grandfather of the man who built the tabernacle in which Aaron would serve as the high priest. So who are on Mm -hmm. Moses' sides? The grandfather of the craftsman of the tabernacle and the man who will be working in it. And so that's who's guiding Mm -hmm. Moses' hands Mm -hmm. in what is ostensibly a military action, but is really an action of faith. If the people just came out out of Egypt and they're going along and doing what they're supposed to do and all of a sudden they're attacked by behind by these people who are coming at them, ravaging them from behind and the weak and the old and the tired. And they go, God, why are you doing this as we're schlepping along the wilderness? Just like you tell us, I can hardly eat. I'm eating this old tree scum, whatever this mana is, and I don't know what it is, but I'm doing your thing, and all of a sudden I'm getting attacked. Am I really doing something bad? And so you need to have the faith, the emunah in your hands to go steady. And you have to have the people who will be directing the worship, building it and directing it, to hold the hands steady in whatever position they're (laughs) going to be.
0: And I just note that As we are reading our text, Joshua shows up for the first time in this text with no explanation. So the community is like, oh, yeah, sure, Joshua. And the same with her. There's no explanation for why or or where he's coming from. We only find out that he's the grandfather much later. But we discover these things in in those texts because the community itself, as they're reading these stories, they're like, oh, yeah, I know Josh. No problem. (laughs) So there's some familiarity that's assumed on the part of the author as they go through this. Here's this question, right? Where is God? Well, last week, as Kevin taught, he ended our section with this question, Exodus 17, verse 7. And he called the place Massah and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? That's the question that they're asking. So they've asked this question, like, Is God here or not? Next line, the Amalekites. So if you're not sure if God is among us or not, watch what it looks like when he's not. The hands go up like a light switch, they win. The hands go down like a light switch, they lose. And so we're asking this question. This is not a Moses parlor trick. Now, note that he does have the staff in his hand. That's mentioned in the text. And we've seen Moses, through the command of God, do miraculous things for Israel. As through the staff and the direction of God, he has brought Israel out of Egypt. We've seen that through certain plagues where the rod was used. And now we see a battle. As the Israelites have tested and quarreled with God, and they're like, is God really here or not? God's like, you want to know what it looks like when I'm not? This is what it looks like when I'm not working. This is what it looks like when I'm not around. Now, Rashi, who Rabbi Ari could speak to much more than I could, but he is a French medieval rabbi, what, 1040, 1100s? 11th century, hundreds, yeah, yeah, 11th century, 11th century with century. a whole bunch
1: of daughters, and was also a vintner. He had a school, and he had a, a winery. He was thinking about moving to Napa, but he never really got it. <laughs> That's country. right, almost,
0: almost yeah. made it. So Rashi tells this interesting story. He sa- he ta- he's talking about the Amalekites and this story specifically, and he says it's like this. Now, just stick with me with the story for a second. It's like a child, a son, who is sitting on his father's shoulders. And as they go around, he's always on his dad's shoulders, and as he has want or need for anything, like my daughter does, eh, 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 right? And then if she knows the word purse, right, then it gets shouted back. Um, and then the father just provides, So, the child on the father's shoulders, eh, 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 manna, eh, 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 water. All of these things just get provided. Now, at one point, the child looks down at somebody and says, Have you seen the father? And the father, in his frustration, is like, What do you mean? Have you seen me? I've been carrying you and schlepping you on my back this whole time. Israel is my firstborn son. I've carried you out of the wilderness. I've been carrying you on my back this whole time. You don't see me providing for you. But because. The child is on top of the father, not separate from the father. The child isn't recognizing the provision that's being given. So the father takes the child off, and as he takes the child off and puts the child on the ground, a dog comes and bites the child in the Rashi story. This sounds terrible, but then Rashi says, that's the Amalekites. That's Amalek. You want to know what it looks like when I'm not carrying you? People will pick you off. And you're asking the question, is God really here? Can you not see that I am providing for you? And haven't, is it true? Is it not true? It's been true for me. Maybe Ari can also speak to this. Did I do a good job explaining Rashi's parable a little bit? Yeah. Oh, a few. Okay, you can jump in. Um, (laughs) That when you're in the midst of something, you often don't have an awareness to appreciate where the provisions coming from? You're just in the midst of it. You're just thirsty, so you grab the water and you drink. And you often don't stop and say, Thank you, God, for water. Thank you, God, for providing this for me in the midst. And it's not until after you're out of that situation that you're looking back in that you can start to see where God was at work. So when the Israelites ask, Is God in our midst or not? Right after that comes this story. And we see what happens, that God is deeply in their midst. And we see what happens when God is fighting for them. And when God stops fighting for them. Is there anything you want to add to that?
1: Two physical things. Uh, The first one is one of the traditions that I grew up with about why would hands up, hands down make any difference at all. We're not talking about magic here. Mm -hmm. What are we talking about? And the answer is, as I was taught, that the Israelites had to keep looking up to the mountain to see if the hands were up. It Number one, gave them confidence. But number two, they had to look up. So the idea was not to just to look up to Moses, but to mm-hmm. keep looking up. Mm-hmm. And the higher you look up, the more confidence you can get. Because it depends on how high you're reaching as to what you'll actually see and what you're hoping for. Now, look at this picture. This is really great. There's something missing from the picture. What? Yes, the dad's head. Now, if this is a metaphor, that uh, Danielle was talking about and the body of the father is God and the body of the child is Israel, then what's missing is the head. And so this is an issue of human faith. If we are in the world that's created for us by God, if we're being carried along by God, but the only head visible is ours. There's a little bitty brain I told you about. (laughs) And this big, humongous, universal body that's holding us up. Hmm. And so all of what our God-given talents are, are being directed by our little bitty brain. And sometimes, because of our perspective, we can't see or we forget to remember what's holding us up.
0: Right, right. And this exactly goes to what Moses is going to say at the end, that the Lord is my banner. Mm -hmm. And there's this conversation about perhaps one of the things that is up there, or at least what Moses is doing or signifying, is that he's sort of raising a standard of the Lord, that he's going to say, hey, don't forget that it is the Lord that is fighting for you. And so as I raise my hands, you're reminded, exactly as you've mentioned, that it is God that is our banner, God that is the one that's fighting, and not Moses himself.
1: Actually, the word banner is... Uh, there are many words for a miracle, and many of them have to do with what people would carry on a pole. Mm-hmm. So if they were walking around with a tribal symbol on a pole, the standard, the staff, and the nes is a Hebrew word for a miracle, but it's also the word for a standard, the thing that's on the top of the pole. And so the staff is also can be understood as a tribe, but it can also be the, 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 the thing with which you do miracles. But the nes becomes the word for miracle because what miracle means in Latin is something you look at. An oracle is something that talks to you. Ora is to talk. Mira is to look. So a miracle is something you stare at because you can't believe it. An oracle is something you talk, it talks to you and tells you what it is. In this case, Adonai Nisi God is my banner. God is my standard. God is what I look up to. And when I see that I know where I am and where my people will assemble. And that's where I should follow my group into battle, forward in the mission, wherever it is. And so that's the the concept of a miracle. Something that I always say is that miracles are not an issue of logistics. (laughs) They're an issue of timing. It doesn't matter what you see, as long as it's in the right place and the right time. And that makes it a miracle to me. It doesn't have to be against nature, supernatural, any other way. Any of us have been the miracle to somebody else. With the right thing at the right time. And at that point, not only were we the miracle, but we were the angel who brought it.
0: <laughs> if you wanted to say, Adonai is my miracle, how would same you say word. Same word.
1: Adonai God is my miracle.
0: Yeah. Kind of fun, huh? Anyone still having a good time? All right, Okay, we'll put Ari on the payroll. All right, so one quick note I'd like to mention here.
1: All the coffee I can drink. That's right, exactly.
0: (laughs) One of the commands that we're given when we talk about the Amalekites is actually found in Deuteronomy 25. And God says this, Remember what the Amalekites did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. For they had no fear of God, and when Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies around you in the land He's giving you, that'll happen someday, right? God Um, will you to possess as an inheritance. Amen. You shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. Now, this concept of don't forget, remember, don't forget is actually incredibly important, and I don't think we have time to fully go into it. By the way,
1: it doesn't say the, the name of Amalek; it says the memory.
0: The memory, that's and right. And the memory
1: is, is the same word as male. So male in memory was, if you had a son, you had a memory. Somebody live on after you. But we don't want to go in that particular patriarchal direction. But so it says, erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Don't forget.
0: That's right. That's right. Just like that. Exactly.
1: Isn't it great? <laughs> I love the Bible. It's, oh. oh no. Oh, uh, oh wait, uh, sorry.
0: Oh. <laughs> they'll be gone forever. They'll be with you for generation That's to right. generation. Yeah. So this, there shall
1: be no poor. The poor will never cease oh, the land. They'll be always in. with you.
0: <laughs> so, this verse is fascinating, and Ari and I are having a fun conversation about this before. The verse, we'll read it again in the English. When you were weary and worn out, they met you on your journey and attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. But... The Hebrew is wonderfully ambiguous. Who had no fear of God?
1: It says they here, and it's a singular in the Hebrew. And it's
0: a singular. It's actually he. So we can you can read it in the Hebrew if you want. They like listening to Hebrew. Yeah. My people, my people.
1: Uh, Verse eight. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Ashir, uh, okay. Remember what Amalek did to you, on your way out of Egypt, who met you on the way out of Egypt, and tailed you, literally tailed you, all the ones who were stumbling behind you, you were tired and worn out, and he did not fear God. Who? Who?
0: Who is it? that didn't fear God? Amalek?
1: That would be the obvious. Sure. that's what everybody functions on.
0: Right. And then I'm like, but why would he? He doesn't know God. God didn't just deliver him out of Egypt. Right. So, okay. So maybe it's Amalek. It could be, but maybe it's also that as Israel was tired and weary and straggling, they had forgotten to fear God. Because in the story, again, as you set it back into Exodus, the last sentence is, is God even here?
1: I thought the last sentence was, are we there yet?
0: Are we there yet? (laughs) You said right. I said left. Back there at the bush. Yeah. (laughs) The rabbis actually talked about the maturity of a community and the maturity of Israel, illustrated by this verse. That as Israel's walking through the desert, they have allowed the poor, the, the weak, and the weary, those stragglers, to be at the back. Where should they be? Where should the women and children and the weak and the sick and the tired be? In the midst. In the midst of the community, right? So as we are considering and thinking about this, and as we're looking at perhaps some of the takeaways from this passage, I'd like to at least note that for SPARK, my prayer is that as we look out into our world, into our very community here, if we see those that are struggling, that are tired, that are weary, that are weak, that we pull them into the center, rather than leaving them on the outside.
1: Or you extend when you take tours up Masada. Do you go up the Roman ramp? Yeah. So we do too, and uh, it's about a fifteen-minute walk from the very, very bottom to the very, very top, if you're in good shape. If you're not in good shape, if you're overweight, if there's something it's wrong not a with walk. you, if it's you're like very this. yeah, if you're uh, if you're old, infirm, it takes a little longer. So. I have a tour guide that goes with us, and I always go at the end of the column to stay with the slowest people, because I want them to know that I am with them. That's right. And so it gives them the courage and the heart and the strength to get to the top of the mountain. Mm -hmm. And so you don't have to slow the entire column down, but you've got to include them by extending your column to (laughs) embrace them no matter where they are
0: leading tours, there's so many pictures Mm -hmm. as you lead in all sorts of examples um, throughout your life of God, I think, so when I'm also leading tours like this, I frequently find the weakest or the slowest and pull them all the way to the front. And I make everyone keep that same pace so that they don't feel left out. That that that, wouldn't work with Jews.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh my God, look at those slow people. I I always feel when I'm on a highway and if somebody's (laughs) tailgating me, I let them go by because I'd rather have them in front of me, not hassling me from behind. Not always,
0: but sometimes. (laughs) And when my mother traveled with me, I'm telling you, I was like, Mom, come on, let's up here, hold my hand, let's go. (laughs) Um, So we made sure everyone was taken care of. But sometimes the people that are weak and are weary and are struggling in our community aren't obvious. Sometimes they're the ones that are saying, I don't even know if I believe anymore. I'm the one that was first shouting at the end of that last section of Exodus, is God even here? And where does that person get to be? Where does the person who's doubting, who's struggling, who's wrestling? Frequently in our religious communities, frequently in my Christian experience, we find that the people that are doubting, that are struggling, that are wrestling, that are saying, well, I don't even know if I believe in God, they end up being on the fringe, We push them to the outside. We're like, well, we'll just pray them into the middle, right? Well, don't invite them. They ruin all the Bible studies with all their questions. Let's just invite only the people that get it, right? And let's just move on so we can get to the next thing. But there's a place and a space for people who are in the Bible um, and in our world today to doubt. And that's part of what God is showing Israel. You can doubt. Let me show you how I can put myself on display. This is also found in Mark chapter 9. A man who's desperately in search of healing for his son goes and asks the disciples. The disciples aren't able to heal his son. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answers, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything's possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I think I could have that bumper sticker. I, I believe and help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus heals.
1: You need a big bumper for a that. A big yeah.
0: bumper, or very small writing. then I get the tailgaters, you know, <laughs> so like. it kind of works, all those things. <laughs> it's okay. And my prayer also for Spark is that those that are struggling, that are saying, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief, or maybe they're not even ready to say I believe, that they find space here, safe space, in our midst, to not get voted off the island, to not get a a special name on the board, dunce cap, sit in the corner till you figure it out, heretic sticker on their chest. But instead, there's safe place. And there's this beautiful song out right now by Mumford and Sons called Believe. And I just want to let you listen to the lyrics. You know, some people would argue Mumford and Sons have written a song about a girl. I'm fairly certain it's about God. They used to be a worship band for Vineyard Church growing up in really? the UK. Yeah. So take a look for a few moments and allow the doubt and the wrestling and the, is God even here in this midst, to resonate. It's okay. It's okay. You may
2: call it in the but you've only lost the night. Preset all your pretty feelings. May they comfort you tonight And I'm climbing over something And I'm running through these walls I don't even know if I believe I don't even know if I believe I don't even know if I believe Everything you're trying to say to me know if I believe I don't even know if I believe everything you're trying to say to me. So open up my eyes tell me I'm alive this is never gonna go our way if I'm gonna have to guess what's on your mind
0: Israelites down on that battle with the Amalekites looking up at Moses looking up at that standard looking up at that banner and saying Adonai Nisi Adonai is my banner Adonai is my miracle open my eyes so I can see it because I don't know if I believe and I don't know if I want to believe and I don't know if I can hear you have you ever had that conversation with God? You're going to have to say something different to me because I cannot hear you right now. I need to believe. Are you even here? And it's not sometimes in the battle that we see or before the battle that we see God, but sometimes it's not till after. So my prayer for all of us is that as we open up our eyes, we get a glimpse, maybe a glimpse. And if you're struggling and you're straggling, and you're weary and you're tired, and you're not sure if you believe or you want to believe, you're welcome, and you're here, and we're going to help all of us together to open up our eyes and look up towards Adonai Nisi. Amen? Promise. Would you thank Rabbi Ari with me?